Time for you to listen to someone swear for 15 to 20 minutes. In a world full of chaos, there's a few things that are for certain. You might think it's death and taxes, but there's so much more than that. Welcome to the Punk Like Her podcast. My name is Bianca, and I know for all certainty that if you bring an issue of Cosmo magazine into a male-dominated workplace, a group of dudes will crowd around and go through it with a fine-tooth comb. They say it's to laugh at it or pick it apart, but I really, really think that they really want to know what's in those pages. Women's sexuality is so mysterious and taboo. The magazine must be full of our secrets, right? Also, it's a genuinely fun read, and they're jealous because Maxim is all cleavage and no substance. Maybe they're just hoping for an instructional because Maxim is all rank these hometown hotties and not 69 ways to pleasure her with your tongue. So that's something to think about. Another thing that is for certain is that as long as there have been humans, there's been a need to document human existence. From cave drawings to Reddit forums, we have an innate need to capture moments in time. So much of our innovations as people tie into this need. Stone tablets, paint, the printing press, photography, radio, film, the internet, this list could go on forever. There's so many mediums to focus on, and you're probably wondering, where the fuck is she going with this ramble? Today, I'm going to shift the focus from music makers to the documenting of punk. So let's talk photos. Let's talk zines. Let's talk Melanie Neeson. I'm going to go out on a limb and assume everyone knows what photography is. So let's all jump into zines. Simply put, zines are a sort of DIY magazine or pamphlet put together by a bunch of geeks to share stuff with other geeks. Not so simply put, zines were started by marginalized groups in the late 1800s as a way to have their own publications. In the 1930s, there was a crossover to where science fiction started getting their own zines because regular sci-fi publications were overwhelmed with the letters of people pointing out the impossibilities of their stories. It got to the point where sci-fi fans would just start writing to each other to discuss their sci-fi theories and complaints, and somehow all these things turned into small-scale zine publications. Zines exploded from there, covering everything from Star Trek and comics to rock and roll and horror. So naturally, with punk being all DIY and stuff, punks took to zines like fire to kerosene. Alright, alright, so what do zines look like? Well, take one part pop art, one part having access to a Xerox machine, add some fun colored paper, and you got a punk zine. Pages of punk zines were filled with things you'd have in regular magazines, like news and reviews, but also poems and stories and other creative works. Heck, you make the zine, you make the rules of what is and isn't included. 
Zines were the working class medium because getting photocopies done was easy, cheap, and accessible. Punk was also the working class medium because power chords are easy and shitty instruments are cheap and accessible. So really, are you surprised about how important zines became in the punk scene? Don't worry, it doesn't end there. I still have more story to tell. Zines evolved a whole damn bunch in the 90s. Remember episode one of my podcast? Of course you don't, so I'll remind you. I told you all about Kathleen Hanna, the lead singer of the band Bikini Kill. Yeah, well, she also had a zine called Bikini Kill, where the second issue, the Riot Girl Manifesto. This manifesto coined the term Riot Girl, and this along with third wave feminism sprouted what's now known as the Riot Girl movement. Riot Girl, like zines, was for the people, and gave birth to a new generation of zines, which included Bust, Girl Germs, Bamboo Girl, Bitch Magazine, Kitten Scratches, Rocker Girl, and so many more. There's so much I can talk about zines and the Riot Girl movement, but I really wanted to cover some other stuff in this episode, so I'm going to make a note to come back to all this and give it the episode it deserves. Along with the Riot Girl movement, the 90s brought with it internet access, which led to a lot of zines to move online and included forums for discussion. I'll let you do the math of how old I am, but while I didn't get into zines, in the early 2000s, it was a magical time for the internet. YouTube was just starting out. We were learning HTML to code our own MySpace pages. It was the start of figuring out digital art because there wasn't any masses of tutorials littering the internet. And oh my god, the fan fictions and the bad emo poetry. They were they were rampant. Being a shitty little teen trying to navigate the plethora of bullshit that was thrown my direction way too young. Those message boards, those chat rooms were a safe haven where I could chat with other shitty little teenagers about bands we loved and the crap we hated. It was beautiful. To those TikTok teens, just want to say, we walked so you could fucking fly. There's nothing wrong with TikTok. It's just, I mean, it was a simpler time. <laughs> it wasn't necessarily better. It was just different. I just wanted to circle back real quick because I'm here blah blah blahing away about the creation of zines, but who the fuck is reading them and where the hell did you get them <laughs> so in in terms of local zines you could find them at punk venues and stores they're handed out after concerts and whatnot but what if you lived in the middle of buttfuck nowhere i'm glad you asked there were zine distributors a big one that crossed all genres was fact sheet five and they would release like this catalog, essentially, with lists and reviews of all sorts of zines. Uh, distribution zines helped spread punk music outside their homes of New York and London. And basically, Fact Sheet 5 would contain all the contact info that you needed to, you know, subscribe to a zine. So in case you're interested, a lot of major libraries, both public and academic, carry collections of zines. You know, in case you want to flip through them. <laughs> in California, the availability of zines at Long Beach and Los Angeles public libraries is all thanks to a woman named Ziba Zidar. So, yay Ziba, you fucking rock. So I also mentioned academic libraries. 
Yale, of all places, has one of the biggest repositories of zines around, which is really fucking ironic because zines are working class and Yale is bougie as fuck. If you want to check out a punk zine online, there's one called Standard Issue. It's, uh, it was based out of Ottawa, Ontario, and they put all their back issues up on a, a Tumblr account. Their last issue was published back in 2012, so it's dated, but I checked, and, and, and they're still up. I, I haven't gone through it yet, so it, it's, like, just terrible. Like, just, there's there's that caveat. <laughs> yeah, you, you can be the judge of it. What I did actually, like, look into was Riot Girl Press. They're a zine label named after the iconic zine distributor from the early 90s. They sell a whole bunch of zines on Etsy for like $1 to $5. I'm probably going to order a couple after I finish this episode because it looks like really good shit. And I've been following them on Instagram for a while now and they just seem to be doing amazing stuff. So shout out to them. Check them out. Um, They spark joy for me and hopefully they'll spark joy for you. So when I started piecing together this episode, I was gonna, like, I was planning to, like, make the main focus Melanie Neeson and just give a little bit of background on zines, and clearly that got out of hand, but here we are, so, so let's, let's move on. So let's talk this one zine in particular. I've really been, like, sucking up to the West Coast lately, but here we go again. We, we spoke about the runaways and the germs, and now we're gonna talk about Slash. Not the hairy guy from that band, but the punk zine based out of Los Angeles. It ran from 1977 to 1980. Melanie Neeson founded the zine along with Steve Samioff. So let's talk about Melanie. Uh, She doesn't have her own Wikipedia page, so that sucked. So I had to do a little bit of digging. But what I did find out was she was born and raised in Los Angeles, which uh, is cool, I guess. I mean, it placed her in the right place at the right time. And then uh, a combination of her having a baby girl really young and getting her first camera at 18 inspired her to start delving into photography, taking pictures, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, she enrolled at the Art Center College of Design to study photography, but dropped out after a year due to college being really fucking expensive and well she had a kid so I feel like this is an LA punk trend leave college to do an epic punk thing uh yeah there was Melanie and her zine and the last episode was Darby Crash and Pat Smear leaving school and starting the germs so anyway back to the story after leaving school Melanie started working at a bookstore And somewhere in that time, about 1976, she met, you guessed it, Steve Samioff. Let me tell you, timing is everything, because that year, UK punk band The Damned toured the USA for the first time and made a stop in Los Angeles. Melanie and Steve were taken aback by how awesome The Damned were and found their way backstage at which point, Melanie got several stellar photographs of the lead singer Dave Vanian. I gotta say, they, they worked fast. The next month, they released the first issue of Slash with Dave on the cover. And I sat on this idea for a podcast for a whole fucking year before, like, releasing a single episode. So, like, go fucking figure. So, the info I found on the zine and Melanie painted this romantic punk DIY 
story of being broke and passionate and piecing things together to create, print, and distribute the zine. There's much more to it, though, and that's what made the zine unique, and that was Melanie's photographs. Much like the germs, Melanie was there at the very start of the L.A. punk scene, so the people she was photographing were her friends. There was this relaxed, unguarded element to the subjects she photographed. She captured moments of good times and not just formal portraits. She also had better access to more people than the average zine creator at the time. Melanie has been quoted talking fondly of the early years of the L.A. punk scene, saying the early years were special. There was a real sense of camaraderie, and everyone was generous with their work. People weren't thinking about money, everything was word of mouth, and people were nice. By 1980, things started to fall apart for Melanie and Slash. Darby Crash had ended his life, Orange County bands were joining the scene and started changing it, making it more violent. Her experience with Slash paved her way for a career as a photographer and graphic designer for major record labels, including Warner Brothers, Atlantic, and Virgin. In 2005, Melanie left the music industry to do her own thing, work on her own projects. One of her projects is a book called Hard and Fast, which documents the L.A. punk scene in those key Slash years of 1977 to 1980. It was released yesterday, by the way, February 1st, so if you have 125 US dollars burning a hole in your pocket, you can buy your copy now. And if you have 250 US dollars burning a hole in your pocket, you can buy me a copy too. Ha, I'm so funny. Photography books are always pricey, but they have to have like a higher print quality, I guess. Uh, I don't really know. I don't know enough about it, but uh, they, they're they prettier than other books, so there you go. The book features photographs of X, The Bags, and so many more awesome bands. I can't wait to like at least flip through it at my local bookstore. <laughs> anyway, fun fact. I know I've been talking about the germs here and there in this episode, but the fun fact is Melanie Neeson designed their their album art. So like the Germs GI album with the blue circle. Yeah, that was all her. So yeah, this kind of just brings the podcast episode to a, a halt. But uh, please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Also subscribe. That would really help. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. I'd really appreciate some good old fashioned word of mouth. Thanks to The Leftovers for providing this theme song. And links to the sources and the mentions in this episode can be found on my website, punklikeher.com. So thanks, guys. Good night. I am exhausted and I still need to edit this. Yeah. Good night. Thanks. Bye.